Hello, and welcome to the Scriptures Are Real podcast. This is the podcast where we talk about things that have become real to us in the Scriptures, because that allows us to apply it to our lives more, and that allows us to draw more power out of it, and we certainly need more power from God in our lives today. In fact, that's one of the themes we'll talk about today. I'm your host, Kerry Mulstein, and this is a short cast where we are doing an overview of a book. Sometimes uh, when I interview a guest, we do a pretty good overview, and uh, sometimes I feel like I, I, uh, my goal has been to typically do an overview for every one of the books. Uh, just sometimes we talk so much in the, the one of the interviews that uh, would be too redundant, but uh, I'm trying to do an overview of most of these books. So today we're doing an overview of Ephesians. So let me talk just a little bit about the epistle itself and about Ephesus. Uh, the epistle itself is um, one of the epistles that Paul writes while he's in Rome. So let's let's give just a little bit of a, a background. Um, you remember that uh, after his three journeys, he's um, he's taken captive in the temple because the Jews are upset because he says that uh, Gentiles can be part, become part of the covenant, and he's taken to Caesarea, and he appeals to Caesar, and then he's sent off to Rome. And while he's in prison there for years, he writes different letters. This is one of those letters. We're actually not 100% sure that Paul is the author of this letter. It's certainly inspired writing, whether it's from Paul or not. Uh, but I think it's fairly fairly good chance it's from Paul. The question is, is it really to the saints in Ephesus? In the earliest manuscripts, uh, that it doesn't mention Ephesus. That only comes later. And so there's some decent thought, uh, and, and you have to give some credence to this, that that is a later edition, that it wasn't who it originally was too. But you also have to think through, well, why did they add it? There must have, Was there a strong tradition that had been carried um, from the time that the letter was received in Ephesus or something like that, uh, that uh, that tradition just eventually was worked its way into being written into the letter. Um, and the answer is we don't know. So some people say this is to the saints uh, in Ephesus, uh, church members. Some would say, no, this is a general letter to all Christianity. And others would say, well, it's it's probably a general letter to the area of Ephesus. So that would be kind of like saying to the Northwest or something like that, the Southwest, um, New England, something along those lines. Uh, the, the idea is that uh, Ephesus was both a city, but it was also uh, the lead city in a large area and that this may have been intended for all of those. And that idea kind of incorporates both the fact that this was a later edition, but that it may reflect uh, a tradition. So um, you may want to think of it that way. You can think of it any of those ways. In the end, we really don't know, but uh, it's at least somewhat general in nature, either general to all the church or general to the church in that area. Um, because that's a possibility, it's worth remembering that on his uh, third missionary journey, Paul made Ephesus his headquarters. He spent three years there. He knew those saints well, and he preached in the areas around about as well. Uh, and so uh, those would have been to people that he knew, although this letter does not name a lot of specific people, except for the person who takes the letter to them. Uh, so that's one of the things that, that lends pretty good weight to the idea that it's a, a, a letter to lots of people. Uh, and we'll discuss that a little bit more in the episode with Dr. Philip Abbott, which I encourage you to listen to uh, after you've listened to this one. So Ephesus is a very uh, large city, very important city. Uh, it's uh, known for uh, temples, especially the worship of uh, Diana. Uh, and uh, you may remember that uh, Paul was uh, thrown out from there. Uh, it had a huge theater and there was a riot in that theater because uh, the there were people who made a lot of money 
uh, making silver idols and uh, this their their livelihood was in jeopardy if everyone started to believe Paul and stop having idols. Um, but uh, it's also known for its library, uh, for being a mixture of ideas from all over the place. Uh, and so it's it's an important area. Uh, and in some ways, it represents the worship of the ideas of the world and the gods of the Greeks and Romans, because it has uh, some impressive. Uh, in fact, it, uh, one of its temples was one of the seven wonders of the world uh, and uh, has impressive temples and impressive libraries and and uh, was a mixing of, of worldly ideas there from ideas from all over the world. So it's a great symbol for the principalities of the world, we could say. And uh, that's kind of the backdrop for Paul writing this letter, which, as I said, he writes while he's in Rome uh, because he can't go and visit anyone anymore. But he's still an apostle and feels he still should be reaching out and teaching and helping. And so he does that by way of writing letters. Uh, I'm going to, to touch on there are a bunch of great themes that we'll touch on in the interview with uh, Dr. Philip Abbott, some of which I hadn't even thought of before. And I think it's, it's wonderful. I really enjoyed that interview with him. But let me just kind of give some uh, bird's eye view or overview themes. Um, I would say one of the major themes is um, unity, which is not surprising. We find that as a theme in almost all of Paul's epistles because there's such a struggle between two things, there's always this struggle between uh, whether you're a Jew or a Gentile and and do Gentiles have to obey the law of Moses? And while it, that the fact that they don't uh, wins out, it was not initially uh, a thing that won out easily. So there's always some tension there. And then there's some tension uh, between, uh, you know, well, I believe uh, in this way because Paul said it this way. Well, I believe this way because Apollo said it this way. And so we get that kind of a thing happening, which is bound to happen when uh, communication is not so easy. So even about beliefs, there's not great unity. And so Paul is always talking about unity, but he will also have a strong theme in this letter of leaving the world behind and taking on us the things of God by the grace of Christ and the help of the Holy Ghost. So those are the two main themes that I think you will see throughout everything in here. Um, and and uh, Dr. Abbott has some great ways of, of thinking of that in a temple context and ritual context that I'll uh, just get you excited to listen to. Um, let's start out with uh, a particular issue in chapter one. Uh, which is starts out with really a praise of God. And I'm just going to read verse three because I find my students or some of my students are often perplexed by a certain phrasing here where he says, blessed be the God and father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who hath blessed us all with all or hath blessed us with all spiritual blessings, even heavenly places in Christ. Okay, that's a beautiful sentiment in and of itself. Um, but I know people who say, well, why would we bless God? And and the reason we ask that is because we think of a blessing as in this is a, a, a something you get from someone else. Someone gives you a blessing, right? You, it, it's a blessing that comes from God. Um, and so how could we bless God? But that's not really how the word is being used or how it often is used. In fact, the uh, one of the most common things that Jews uh, say is, uh, blessed art thou, O Lord, our God, King of the universe. That's said again and again in all sorts of prayers, all sorts of settings. Um, you bless God. It's it's really a way of saying, of praising God. It's talking about not receiving blessings, about the state of being blessed. Someone who has been blessed so much in this case that they've become godlike, right? fully sanctified and godlike. Uh, and so it's a, it's a praise, and that's a wonderful way to uh, start out is by praising God for sending Christ 
to make it so that we can become all that we need to become. And really, that's the emphasis of this letter. Uh, we could skip down to verse 7 in chapter 1. In whom we have redemption through his blood, that's Christ's blood, the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of his grace. Just how beautiful is that? Uh, highlighting we get redemption, we get forgiveness because of Christ's blood and because of his grace. And, and remember that the word here uh, has covenant connotations. Uh, it's probably being used in a way that's similar to chesed. Uh, and so it has covenant connotations. And that covenant theme is important throughout uh, Ephesians. He also says, wherein he hath abounded toward us in all wisdom and prudence. So he's given us all wisdom, having made known unto us the mystery of his will, according to his good pleasure, which he hath poured a purpose in himself, that in the dispensation of the fullness of times. Now, we read that to mean in our day, although I think that Paul would also think of it as starting to happen in his day. But in the dispensation of the fullness of times, he might gather together in one all things in Christ, both which are in heaven and which are on earth, even in him. So the day will come when all things are fully unified in Christ, and we can be with God again. That is really the major theme of Ephesians. We're going to move down to chapter 2, where we can see uh, these themes developing more. And uh, one of the most important themes that's repeated, and I won't look at every time it's repeated, but that's repeated throughout the, the book. Verse 1 of chapter 2, And you he hath quickened, meaning he's, he's made you alive, who were dead in trespass and sin. So the idea that we have become dead because, and, and this ties in with the fall, the fall brings about spiritual death and physical death. Uh, and then we continue bringing about our spiritual death because of our trespasses and sins, but we can be made alive again. Then in verse two, wherein in times past, ye walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of air, the spirit that now worketh in the children of uh, disobedience. This idea, we have walked according to the world. Now, this is true of all of us. We've all walked according to the world, but as we make covenants and keep them, we leave that behind us. That is a constant scriptural theme. The archetypal journey is about that, uh, the temple journey, uh, all sorts of things. Among whom also we all had our conversation in times past in the lusts of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature the children of wrath, even as others. So you see this idea that we've been worldly. We've just gone with what the we're fallen men, fallen creatures in a fallen world. We've gone with what the world tells us so that we fulfilled, we, we seek our own desires and the desires are fallen carnal desires, and we get upset and, and angry and have contention and so on. But God, who is rich in mercy for his great love wherewith he loved us, even when we were dead in sins, hath quickened us together with Christ. By grace ye are saved, and hath raised us up together and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. This idea that God sent Christ to change us so that we can not be like the world, but like God and the place where God is, and we can be one with God and each other because of Christ. That's the theme. Leave the world behind. The way the world thinks, the way what the world tells us is important, what the world tells us is okay. Leave all of that behind and think of things in a godly way and become godly, changed by Christ. Uh, if we were to go down to verse 11, wherefore, remember... <clears throat> Wherefore, remember that ye, being in time past Gentiles in the flesh, who are called uncircumcision by that which is called circumcision in the flesh. So he's saying you, you haven't been, you weren't born of the house of Israel. And so Israelites called you uh, goyim or Gentiles, right? So you weren't of the covenant, but now you are of the covenant. That at that time you were without Christ, being aliens or foreigners from the commonwealth of Israel. So not being part of Israel or of the covenant people. 
and strangers from the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. Right. But then the idea is that uh, and that's the truth, the case, even for people born in the covenant, even for people, uh, you know, Israelites or whatever. If we're not really making and keeping covenants, then in one way or another, we are not part of the house of Israel. We're foreigners, but we can become part of the house of Israel as we make covenants and are changed by Christ and the Holy Ghost, which starts at baptism. So this is is that uh, powerful theme. So that we get down to verse 18. For through him, we both have access by one spirit unto the Father. Christ and the Holy Ghost bring us unto the Father. Now, therefore, you are no more strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints. In other words, you are our covenant people sanctified by Christ and the covenant and the Holy Ghost. Uh, that's what the saints is, people who've been sanctified and of the household of God. We'll talk about that in the, the interview with Philip as well. Um, and you're built on foundations of apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the, the chief cornerstone. So that's how it starts is by through God's church and the rituals and ordinances of that church and the power of Christ and the Holy Ghost allow us to have unity with each other and with God. That's the theme, the, the big overview. Uh, we can get that uh, again in, in chapter three. Chapter three, he really talks about how, and I'm so glad I've been a tool in being able to bring you to Christ uh, uh, bring Gentiles to Christ. That's been my job is to bring Gentiles by Christ um, or to Christ. Uh, and then he'll he'll kind of close this chapter up by some beautiful verses where he says we have boldness in verse 12 and access with confidence by the faith of him. Wherefore, I desire that you faint not uh, and so on. Um, we're going to uh, keep. Well, let, let's just read down to verse 18 that we may be able in Christ, verse 17, through Christ, we can be rooted and grounded in love. And we may be able to comprehend with all saints what is the breadth and length and depth and height, and to know the love of Christ, which passeth knowledge, that you might be filled with all the fullness of God. It is God's love expressed through his son, Jesus Christ, and their love for us and our love for them. And the gift or grace, uh, the chesed uh, and covenant relationship with Christ that, and God, that can we make that with God, that can bring us to God and allow us to receive the fullness of God. Then he goes on in chapter four and describes what we're like when we're changed. We should be lowly and meek and long suffering and we forbear in love and we have unity. We're one in spirit and in all the different elements of the church and we acknowledge we're one in God. Um, and then we get some interesting stuff here. Uh, verse seven, uh, but unto every one of us is given grace according to the measure of the gift of Christ. So this is this grace or this uh, enabling power that comes through covenant relationship or chesed is going to come through Christ. Um, and then we get in verse eight, this focus on that he ascended up on high. And I love this phrase. And he led ca captivity captive. So he, he, he made captivity his own captive. He conquered captivity, as it were. And he gave gifts unto men. Now he that ascended, what is it? But he also descended first into the lower parts of the earth. But he descended, he that descended is the same also that ascended up far above all heavens that he might fill all things. Now, Dr. Abbott is going to have some great things to say about that. I love how he explores that. I'm just going to highlight that this also ties into themes we see elsewhere in the epistles. In particular, we'll see it in Hebrews, this idea that he who was above all things had to descend below all things, and that allowed him to take us and lift us back up to where he had been. Now, there are other elements of this that Dr. Abbott will uh, express that I think are absolutely correct, but I think that that's also a theme that, that this epistle has in common with other things. Uh, and then he tells us in verse 14, because of this, if we really are leaving the world behind 
and we're changed in Christ and unified with God through Christ, then we're not children tossed to and fro and carried about by every wind of doctrine and by the slight of men and cunning craftiness whereby they lie in wait to deceive. What a description of what happens in our day. There are so many people who have, are members of our church, who have been members of our church, who are tossed to and fro by every wind of doctrine and this, the cunning craftiness of men, all the sophistry and the things they say. And we're so convinced by them that even though we've given up the world and we're following Christ, we're, we're enticed by the world again. We're seduced by the world and the way the world talks. Uh, and we leave the love of Christ and uh, adopt the love of the world again, uh, which is going backwards. In any case, uh, if we do that, if, if we aren't tossed to and fro, but we're steady in believing that the doctrine of Christ is taught by apostles and prophets and so on, then we're speaking the truth in love and we may grow up into him in all things, which is the head, even Christ. Um, and that brings us to some of the powerful verses, verse 24, and that you put on the new man, which after God is created in righteousness and true holiness, so that's being a new creature in Christ. You are changed. You are a different being. And thus you put away lying and you speak truth and you're not angry and you don't sin and you don't, you don't have wrath and give place to the devil, but instead, and you don't steal and so on, but instead you, you act in truth and love and peace. Uh, and in, as he says in verse five, we'll walk in love as in Christ that loved us. And he offers uh, a sacrifice to God and so on. So we leave behind filthiness and we take Christ upon us and we have fellowship with everyone um, and we we walk in the light and then we'll give um, give praise. We'll sing praises to God and gratitude uh, and so on. It's just a, a beautiful overview. He'll compare things to marriage and we'll talk about that just very briefly in the next uh, podcast. Maybe I'll just it's not so important to the overview, but maybe I'll just uh, say that it's important to recognize that uh, we have modern prophets, and I do say this in the next one, but I'll just uh, dwell on it a moment here, uh, that help us understand that we work together as husbands and wives in full and equal partnership. But the model that that uh, Paul is trying to teach us here is the idea that we give ourselves to our spouses the way that we should give ourselves to Christ and that Christ has given himself to us. Uh, that's the model. That's what it's like in families. We, we love each other the way Christ has loved us. We serve each other the way Christ has served us. And that's one of the themes here in Ephesians, that we forget about ourselves and we put others above us. We serve them. Most of all, we serve Christ, but we serve others. And that is part of what we do as we are new creatures in Christ. Um, and that brings us to chapter six, where he will hit again on the theme that we have to leave the world behind. And when we do, we get verses like verse 12, for we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. In some ways, that may be about persecution coming from Rome and other places. But in some ways, this is talking about the, the powers of the world, this powers of of wickedness, of being a fallen man and a, and a carnal nature. That's what we're wrestling against. And so we need Christ in order not, not only just to leave it behind, as hopefully everyone uh, who is listening to this podcast has at least started to, but it's not a one-time event. We have to do it. We have to keep doing it. We have to endure to the end and, and take Christ upon us again and again and again and be changed again and again and again um, so that we can leave the world behind and be unified together. That's the the big overview of Ephesians. I hope that's helpful and uh, it's a little bit repetitive with the next one, but uh, not too much. And there are a lot of great key 
uh, ideas and things that I'd never thought of that uh, Dr. Abbott brings in that I, I think just make it come alive in the next podcast. So I'll urge you to listen to that. But hopefully this overview helps you as you're doing your reading to look for those themes of leaving the world behind uh, and coming unified with each other and uh, being unified with God through Christ uh, as we allow him to change us into the kinds of beings who act in a godly way instead of in a worldly way. Thank you so much. I hope this is helpful and that you'll share it with others and that you'll uh, do all those things that will help uh, others to find this podcast uh, and that it's uh, we just want to be blessing everyone's lives. So thank you. <laughs>